This is another episode of Hip Hop Social Worker. I'm Christopher Scott, your host. And today I have a special guest, um, a guy who really, he actually gave me my first job post uh, post undergrad, you know, started my career off, uh, Mr. Charles Toole. Go ahead, speak to the mic. Hey there. <laughs> so um, I figured uh, it'd be nice to, um, you know, give his perspective on things because uh, he kind of, you know, he pushes me to think outside of, you know, the box, really, um, you know, and like I said, he gave me my first job. I don't know if he solely gave me my first job, but, uh, you know, he's part of the, he was a supervisor, so I'm assuming he had pretty, <laughs> you know, like some some uh, power in, in that decision, so, uh, and I started my whole, you know, wanting to be a, you know, counselor type deal, because I remember, uh, you know, I, I kind of asked, like, so what kind of job is this? And he was like, well, you're going to be doing some counseling, and I was like, all right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, because that's when we were still trying to figure out what it was, really. Yeah, so, um, you know, so so I feel like, you know, you've been a kind of like a mentor, so to say, in this, uh, in this field, so I just wanted to, you know, sit down and, and, and uh, talk with you. So uh, I appreciate that. How you doing today? Good, good. Nice. So here Saturday, and uh, got some things coming up, but finally able to relax with some of the other things we got going on as far as it being summer and being out of work and stuff. So nice. And we are in the Dallas, Oregon, uh, this place where I lived for a few years. Uh, I know a lot of people. Um, you know, I tell people, I tell like a lot of my black friends that I lived in the Dallas, and they say, "God damn, how did you do that?" It's like it wasn't that bad, actually. <laughs> you know, I figured it could be those times. <laughs> you know, I never really had any uh, issues. I actually had a family friend who lived out here, and he said that he was the worst time of his life. And I was like, "Really?" You know, like I, I kind of had like a whiteness moment. I was like, "Really?" I didn't experience any of that. <laughs> but I figured. You know, and like you know, the family that I'm connected to probably had a little bit of you know pull of why like I probably didn't have that bad of a time out here. You know, so well, and even in the Dells, we've got different pools. Yeah, were, you know, it's who are you around a lot, and that was a pretty good group we had. So that's true. Yeah. So. uh so yeah, uh, so like I said, uh, the first job I had out of undergrad, well, my first job that I was able to like live off of, you know, pay a full time salary. I went to the um, detention out here, and it was a it was for a program for you know for um, youth that were in the system. We were trying to help them, you know, um, you know, get back into the community, and uh, and yeah, that was like revolutionary at the time. Do you want to uh, kind of go back and like explain our kind of? Um, Tell your story, like, uh, what kind of led you to creating that kind of a program? Well, you know, initially some folks around town, uh, juvenile director and um, our manager, you know, they monitor RFPs, requests for proposals and things, mm-hmm. and OIA is looking for programs, and they were specifically looking for um, sort of a first of its kind, and they wanted a short-term stabilization program so that they could try to keep kids on probation and parole in some kind of a community-based program versus back to the state training schools, mm-hmm. you know, um, which at the time was McLaren and Hillcrest. Yeah. So, you know, some people started talking. At that time, I was actually case managing and coordinating 
the YCC program, which is a youth care center program, which is about a 90 to 120 day, um, you know, secure facility program for kids. And then the CSC program, which was a court-ordered extended detention program. So it was about 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because of the statute in Oregon that requires, you know, about the longest kids are going to stay in juvies about eight days. Yes. Yeah. There's something planned and there's some kind of a program. So. Uh-huh. I was doing a little bit of uh, case management for Office of Refugee Resettlement contract we had and working with some of those kids. So this idea came up, and I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. I'd like a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, by then, I'd seen a lot of programs. As you know, I always say I'd never seen one I liked yeah. or one I thought was very good. <laughs> so that was sort of the inspiration. I'm like, well, maybe we can build a good one. Okay, yeah. All right, so um, what led you to, like, because just knowing, like, how most um, correction, or youth, like, correction officers work, working in, like, several different um, agencies, um, I kind of know, like, it's easy to kind of sit in your ass and just get paid your good purrs and your good salary, and really just kind of let time fly by. What led you, like, to want to do more? Well, I tried to do that. Uh-huh. Um, he... he probably smack me now but my supervisor at the time was he was always trying to convince me that hey man we're we're getting paid yeah (laughs) Uh, this isn't why we exist this is our job and so let's just do our job and then we do that to go do the things we enjoy to do Mm -hmm. and I understand that kind of thinking and I tried it for a while Um, but in the end it just you know after a while it's boring yeah and you start seeing the kids you start knowing about their stories you start seeing them differently and then you realize well they're here mm-hmm. and I'm here <laughs> yeah so we're both here maybe we should try and figure something out yeah know, to make it a little bit better for them so okay so um so was that kind of like the philosophy you had working on the floor you know like you know as a front line staff yeah definitely I tried to have fun with them mm-hmm. and uh, you know when I first started there counseling was if you don't like it don't come back yeah. And, yeah. Um, and when I applied the job was called juvenile counselor we were mm-hmm. talking earlier yeah, about yeah. well that's not a counselor well yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant until you know I was hired and I got in there and I'm like whoa mm-hmm. holy cow because I'm coming from residential yeah so I see kids walking in line and I was like floored yeah like, I can't believe you can get these kids to do this mm, yeah they're coming from residential where it's just wild and woolly that's, that's true <laughs> yeah so you know got in there and, and learned that and really that's just a fl- uh, you know a front line job learned as much as I could um, from the from people who were there but then over time just kind of felt like well there's got to be more we can do yeah so okay and um, it was like so so like at this point in your life you just applied to this job you just got this job you said you worked with residential how did you get to residential like you know you know, you know, you know what kind of path did you take to get there well I had a friend of mine mm-hmm. in college and he was or is he's Native American yeah and uh, I was and we got we became friends through gaming yeah. role playing games and at that time I didn't have a job I wasn't 
you know, my stuff was paid for. Mm-hmm. I was getting plenty of spending money extra a month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was pretty easy. Yeah. And he was like, you know how good you have it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, you wouldn't last if you had to do this like me. You know, I have to get scholarships and I have to have a job to pay for my stuff and so I was like alright I accept your challenge mm-hmm. and that's where he worked yeah. so I applied where he worked <laughs> is that how you got into this field? yeah I was just a long haired college kid sitting in an interview for something I really didn't know what it was yeah. and working with some pretty seriously disabled kids mm-hmm. um, and it took a couple of interviews I had to stay with it before they even hired me. <laughs> that was six fifty an hour. Yeah, oh yeah, so so this was, was so that's when when that was minimum wage. Yeah, ninety four. Yeah. So and so from there you kinda like did you develop your practice through there? Yeah, I learned a lot there. First I learned patience mm-hmm. and a little bit I guess of what you call confidence because at first you have no idea what you're doing. I mean, I had done a couple of summer crews with yeah. kids for Oregon Youth Conservation Corps, mm-hmm. um, but this was totally different. These were kids that were removed from the home um, and had social and behavioral disorders to the yeah. level, you know, combined with disabilities that made it so they didn't qualify for things like detention or yeah. anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they needed to be somewhere. Yeah, okay. and with 24-7 yeah. help. Um, so... Once I got in there, I think I just sort of developed patience and stuff. And one of the things, one of the early lessons I learned was like, well, when these kids are having fun, I'm not having problems. Yeah. So why don't I get a 25-hour purchase order and we'll go up to Bear Springs and swim and cook hot dogs and spend the day up there instead yeah. of sitting here in this duplex, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and we started doing a lot of that. And yeah. I didn't have a lot of problems with kids, and so I kind of developed... One of my early fundamentals is just, well, if you keep them busy, um, let them have fun, treat them like people, mm-hmm. like kids, it's not as difficult. Yeah. Not saying it's easy, but it's not as difficult. Yeah, I get that. Uh, so, actually, uh, you, you spoke on the organ conservation thing or whatever. Organ conservation Yeah, thing? so I had uh, one one of my buddies I went to grad school with. I, I interviewed him uh, a few episodes ago, and he said he did that. I don't know if he, if he was on the same crew or not, but uh, he even did it at the same time. But that's, that's funny because he said he did that, and he went out to do for, 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 for a few times. and. Yeah, whatever, you know. Really? I wonder what year, because the first time I did it was for... I want to say the first time was Wasco County, and we did a lot of stuff in Dufer. Yeah. We put in the stop signs in Dufer. That was me and my crew. <laughs> nice. I, don't, I, don't, I think it was like one stop sign or something before. And now I don't know how many there are, but we had to bust a lot of rock to put them in. It's like five. Probably. It seemed like 400. <laughs> yeah, because you guys had to do it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was literally rock bar. Yeah. Uh, and then we did the... We, we tarred the roof at the water building, and then the big one we did, I, I was most proud of, was we cleared the park um, out there in Moffin. Oh. I mean, that was just all the overground stuff down there at that time. Was that, uh, so that was some in, wasn't the Rajneeshan Moffin? Or was that? That was before, yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So you cleaned up after the... But that was a Moffin, actually. They were out in Antelope, so... Oh, little, but but is that still Wasco County? Yeah. It was like yeah, far. South County. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, where did that career take you? Like, uh, well, I know, you know, after the tools program, I left before you, before the, the program had, uh, you know, 
did what it did. I, I forgot what happened to it, but uh, but um, so now, so now what are you doing? Well, now I am um, a district behavior specialist for the school district. Um, so I basically switched from residential and you know staff secure secure programs to education. Yeah, which was. You know, it's a pretty big transition. Definitely. So, um, what does that job entail? Well, most of it is working in the LTCT, um, long-term care treatment, mental health classrooms for elementary kids. We, although we can serve K through eight, it's just been too difficult to um, find the space to have that broad range of grades. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we basically do K through five, and that's three days a week. And then the other two days a week, um, I'm out in the district in the other uh, buildings trying to help, generally trying to help teens put together FBAs and behavior plans or 10 IEPs and consulting on behavioral issues or consulting with the school-designated teens about behavior, yeah. possible interventions. Um, I'm a CPI trainer. So I train all the special uh, ed. Say so what CPI means um, for the people that don't know. Crisis prevention intervention. Mm-hmm. So it's called a nonviolent intervention system. So um, it's known probably for its holds and disengagement yeah. skills, physical things. But really, uh, I got to give them credit. Over the last few years, they've really moved away from a lot of that and put more stuff into the prevention side. So. That's the part we push a lot more, especially in schools. Yeah. And what does, like, prevention look like, usually? Like, I mean, I know, you know what I'm saying, but, like, it's for the, to generalize it or make Behavioral it prevention yeah. in a school? Um, it looks like having a positive <clears throat> atmosphere and culture um, in the school first. So... One of the systems we look at is PBIS or Positive Behavior Intervention Support. Okay. And uh, I'm the local coordinator for that just as of like a month or two ago. Um, and what that talks about is behavior in terms of tiers. So you have your tier one, it's mm-hmm. kind of your atmosphere. You know, so yeah. How are you going to set this place up so it's inviting? It feels safe. Mm-hmm. The kids you know, are earning some rewards for good behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, that the expectations of the school are taught in a regular and consistent fashion to all the students. Yeah. Um, and that everybody's sort of on the same page. That's level one. And all kids get that. Yeah. And then level two is, so I look at it as an upward-moving filter. Mm-hmm. So some, some kids, level one works, most of them. Yeah. According to PBIS, 80% of them. Yeah. Um, they filter up into tier two, and that's, a, you know, 20% at least. Uh, they need a little bit more help, mm-hmm. um, behaviorally speaking. And that might look like small group pullouts, social yeah. skills groups, um, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And then tier three, um, which statistically is about 5%, uh, that could be small group and individual um, counseling, speci- uh, specialized counseling, and probably involvement in other community agencies and things. Okay. All right. So was there anything like... 
in your young life or your personal life that led up to like your philosophy? Because there's a few things that that I took from you know us working together or you being my supervisor that uh, that 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 really helped me you know in my in my future career. Just kind of like uh, I remember one time um, this kid we had wanted to go to the pool, you know, and uh, he had earned his you know his pri- you know how how you know these youth jails work. You get your privilege, you get to go do some shit, right? Um, he wanted to go to the pool, and I remember a lot of the um, other staff was not our staff, but the staff on the detention side were kind of um, you know him in and on about why he shouldn't go. And I kind of was like, yeah, that makes sense. Why why the hell is he gonna go to the pool? And you was like, well, you know, you can't you can't punish him for something he hasn't done. You know, like he has to, like you have to give him a chance to do what you think he's gonna do. You know, and no matter if you think it's right or wrong, but you know, you can't really. You're holding him back. You know, like you're not showing him any growth. So, like, was there anything that kind of? Because uh, I feel like that was like a unique stance. Like, especially when you know seven of the staff was like, "Fuck that, hell," you know, like, like no, you know, he's not gonna go. Like, and you were like, you know, like you kind of show why you just like you were the supervisor, you know. So, like, was there anything that led you like, that led up to that uh, kind of philosophy? Well, a couple things as you're describing that, um, you know, I don't know what the exact situation was, but it was, you know, there's a, a few philosophies involved there. One, I, I believe strongly that if a kid earns something, they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, Shy have a very serious safety and security incident of concern or, or you know, post earning it. You know, I don't care if they've had a bad attitude or whatever in the last day or two while we haven't been able to get ourselves together to give them what they earned, Yeah, they're going to get it. Because mm-hmm. um, you have to build credibility. If you can't, uh, it's just like you know, on the opposite side of that coin is you don't set a limit, you can't enforce. Yeah, okay. You know, okay. parents need to learn that. You know, mm-hmm. and it's On the opposite side of that, don't set a reward. You can't give. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those things are about establishing credibility. And then I also am a big fan of social learning theory. Yeah. And <laughs> that a lot of the things we learn are through experience. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, maybe I know what that kid's going to do, but I don't know what they're going to do when they're going out to that pool. It is, you know, you're balancing different things and you're saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a little trust in this kid. And see where it goes. You know, if, to get to that spot, I'm gonna have to be pretty comfortable with him. You know, yeah. We still had a staff secure facility, so we had a locked door <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. Um, but if I was starting to get a feel for a kid, and then I would trust that. Um, sometimes even over what other people were telling me, mm-hmm. um, because I think you have to to give them a chance. Yeah. You know. So. Okay. Is there a reason why you like uh, you chose to work with juveniles, like opposed to working with adults? Yes, I, I don't have patience for grown-ups. Okay. And, and people a lot of time ask me that, like, well, isn't it hard to work with kids and stuff? And I'm like, no, working with kids is easy. It's all the grown-ups you got to work with to work with kids that are driving nuts. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. they represent the systems and uh, the hoops and the hurdles. And the barriers to actually be able to just work with a kid. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to grown-ups, I probably would gain more sympathy. I think if I was, you know, if I was working on the adult side. Yeah. Um, hearing their stories and stuff. Mm-hmm. But part of me would be like, you're grown up. 
you know there's <laughs> yeah. just the reality is there's less for you now yeah uh, which is why it's really really important to um, do the work when they're younger yeah and I feel that same way like I feel like um, the work I do now could speak volumes to a young person's life in the future you know like um Cause I always think like you know like I got I got all this experience why haven't I ever I like I've never even really well once only once have I attempted to cross over to like working with adults only once I've never because I just feel like like you said like the patience and you know I remember I worked at a homeless shelter when I you know like I was working part time when I first got out of um, undergrad and just some of the stuff you know like you would hear it was just and then like I felt like some of their entitlement was more than you know the time that they said the youth have in these facilities and it's like you know it's just kind of off-putting a little bit but I just feel like you know working with youth we get a chance to kind of plant seeds you know and watch them grow you know but then again I feel like our philosophies might be different because I know there are a lot of people who prefer to work with adults because they say working with adults is easier mm. and I feel like those those people probably are just like you know they're just in it maybe because um, you know I mean you know because there are different areas of you know you know because like say like if you're a person who's, a, who's influenced by race you know like you might get a satisfaction of working with like you know people of color you know you know to help them fight this system of oppression that we have in this country or, or, or if you're not a person who's motivated you can be a person who's like who's just checking boxes and it's like oh you didn't you didn't pass your UA go to jail you know like you know how easy that is because I mean because just how easy it is to be motivated in this field it's easy to turn it off too to so be like oh I'm just, I'm just here to get a check like somebody so and so see me today he's probably gonna be dirty oh you're dirty go to jail yeah. you know there's no like there's no building rapport you know it's just kind of it's just like yeah you, you fucked up you're done and then you go home you get your you know 30 bucks an hour and cause you're a veteran and you, and you know, or, you know. Well, yeah it's easy to get cynical yeah cynicism is rampant in a lot of these helping industries with people yeah and I think that can be cyclical I think there's times you know you go through in your career where you are more cynical for a while yeah. and there could be situations I mean I've worked with kids where I'm at the part where you know I wouldn't say necessarily it's like I'm done with you but it's you have to come to the realization that you're not everybody's answer mm-hmm. and it, it may be in this guy's best interest to try somewhere else because this isn't working Yeah. so um, but with grown ups I think I'm probably a little less patient, but I could see where they would think it might be easier because um, the big difference is those four lobes, right? I mean, we're working with kids. Yeah, it's constant reminders, and yeah, it's, it can get hard, you know. Yeah, and, and which is why I've actually really enjoyed working with the younger kids now mm-hmm. because they like you. Yeah, they're like still happy to see you. I was like, shoot, for 15 years, I, I don't think there was too many kids that are happy to see me show up. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I mean, so I mean, yeah, because because teens, you know, they do go up and down. You know, it's rare that teen is happy. To, even like, even if after treatment they said thank you, I appreciate what you did for me. To get there is a hard road. You know, like, yeah. it, it, it is tough. You know, it yeah. is it is really tough. It was years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, 
uh, shit, I had a thought. I forgot. Also, speaking of like of so you, like you supervise a program, right? So like we all know that social services, the finances are, you know, our struggle mm-hmm. basically. And I remember you had a philosophy, you know, like uh, you know, if you pay your employees well, they'll stick around. And for the average, I mean, you know, the, you know, the first half we had, they stuck around for two years, and that's like twenty years in social services, you know. So. Um, so you think that so like do you still think that philosophy is like is relevant you know like in this you, you know in practice absolutely yeah I think you know we fight it now in education I'm still making the same argument we're mm-hmm. trying to hire people um, for some pretty difficult jobs that are daily you know daily working with kids yeah and we're asking them to come do that for 13 or 14 bucks an hour. Uh-huh. That doesn't work for too many people. Yeah. I mean, unless you have a spouse, you know, and you're kind of just doing this for insurance, mm-hmm. which may be a part of the old model of thinking. Yeah. You know, uh, and maybe that worked at one time, but it's time for an update because it's not working mm-hmm. now. You can't keep the pool you need. Yeah. Um, we ran into that, you know, in our program. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you're limited in what you can do. Yeah. And then, if you don't have anything attractive, who's going to relocate? <laughs> That's true. Especially for 14 bucks an hour. Right. You know. It doesn't, doesn't pay your, your rent or your mortgage or anything. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I definitely think if you're going to do it, do it right. Um, mm-hmm. Have high standards for the criteria that you're using to select people and pay them a wage that is competitive with the other um, the other markets or the other areas you're up against when it comes to other helping industries or social services. What, you know, and the argument will often get made, well, you know, the cost of living is higher in Portland and all that stuff. And yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of things in Portland that you get with that cost of living that mm-hmm. you don't get here. Yeah. So we've got to find a way to balance the scales. Yeah. Um, so... And, I still believe in that. Yeah. And I feel like at one time in our history of this country, um, you know, once uh, there was a time, you know, at least ideally there was a time when, like, the skills were tipped in the opposite way to where you needed a little to get a lot. So, like, if you can, you can be, like, a teacher and you can, like, maybe, you know, work and own three or four houses and go on vacations to London and stuff like that, you know, and then it got kind of... You got kind of balanced, and then now it's like tips to the other side to where like you know you need two incomes just to pay your mortgage. Yeah. You know, so but that's like it's a whole different conversation. We don't have time. That is true. But I, mean, but I feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at like the things I wanted when I was a kid, what I thought I was gonna have, and what I'd still like to have in some ways. Yeah. It's outside my grasp uh-huh. in, in reality, unless. I make a serious change or get really damn lucky, mm-hmm. a lot of those things aren't going to happen. You know, I grew up on Grizzly Adams. Yeah. So I'd like to have a cabin in the woods. Yeah. But that's not happening. And that turned into like a luxury thing now. Yeah. Before it was like a, you know, it was yeah. kind of like a poor man's thing. Now it's like a, you know, it's just like everything else and how this how the system works. Unless you want rock and dust that's on like a <laughs> six degree angle or something like that. You know. <laughs> So, um, speaking of managing a program, like we were talking about, how did you manage like, like um, ethics and success, and then like bare necessities, like keeping the beds full. 
Was there ever a time where that kind of like Because I see it a lot To where like it's people Were just taking Taking clients they shouldn't take yeah. But it's like We need to keep these beds full So how did you like Manage that Well um, I have Core beliefs And so And I'd have them posted there Above my chair And a lot of times In those positions You're in a place where you have to make a decision mm -hmm. and none of the answers are good mm. and none, of, none of the possibilities are the ones you were hoping for they're not ideal um, and I'd look up there and it was basically just things my dad taught me and mm -hmm. it started with number one um, your relationships with other people are the most important thing in life Yeah. so if I'm looking at a situation I'm thinking you know, I don't know. I mean, this is the way I'm supposed to do it. But it's going to damage this relationship in a way I don't want it damaged. Mm -hmm. I'm going to probably look for a different way to do what I need to do. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, you know, is uh, if you do your best, you got nothing to feel bad about. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a double-edged sword. Is what's your best? Yeah, that's true. And then you get in the cycle of always questioning whether it's your best or not. So you got me on that one. Yeah. Um, but it's also a way of saying, look, if you try really hard, you work really hard, you have good intent, and you're trying, and you still don't make it, don't beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. Because that's what will cause you to become cynical or give up, and you'll never get to where you're trying to get. Yeah. Um, and then the third one was if you do the things you need to do each day, the future works itself out for you. Okay. You know, I went to him one day and yeah. I was in the spot and I was like, I got to figure some things out. And he told me these, those three things. He said, here's what you need to know. And, and then he kind of laughed. He said, yeah, and remember, here's some spots I've been in. And he was talking about how you know, he left the family for a year to go off to school in Northern California and had to go live with my grandparents. Yeah. Um, and how tough that was. You know, I mean, these days we do it online. Mm -hmm. But he had, you know, had to leave. I think he came back one time. Mm -hmm. um, and those, t those were tough things. Um, clearly a little more difficult than what I was facing. So it helped put it in perspective. Okay. Nice. Um, so, um, so like you working in this field in the education preventative side and also like the reactive juvenile justice side, how did you see like race play out in these, in these practices? Well, you know, being out here, we don't have as much diversity mm -hmm. in race. I mean, so to me growing up out here, what that meant was, you know, the minority that I'm familiar with are Hispanic people. Yeah. Right? From, you know, whether it's locals or workers that come through um, seasonally. Mm -hmm. and so when I got into, I mean, if I go all the way back, like through, you know, Salem even and um, the Dallas, more course, it was never really an issue 
or anything I thought about a lot unless yeah. presented with uh-huh. it. Yeah. You know, so if African American kid comes in, it's like, hey, we don't have any African American kids coming here. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I, I don't know that you approach it any different, but you think about it. Like, well, you think about what could the differences yeah. be? And <laughs> what I, should and, I know? <laughs> and I saw those. I, I saw those pretty clear when we got some African American kids. Well, you know, because our program we worked with OIA, so you know they're gonna gonna be this by the numbers. It wasn't as much as there were inside of like the actual correctional facilities, but that's a whole different conversation. But uh, I do know that um, you know, like, and at, at, you know, at the you know at, at the juvie, we had things like you know we didn't have hair picks, they didn't have lotion. You know, you didn't, I remember having that. Conversation. You know, just, just things that you know, like you know, it's like I know, like it might not be, it, be, it might be outside the box. You know, if you're not dealing with that, but like if you have kids with coarse hair, and you know. Yeah, they probably gonna want a hair pick, you know, or they probably gonna want some lotion that's not as, you know, as consistent as water, you know. So things like that, you know, that you like you said, you never think about it until you get one, and he's probably like, hey, can I get some like some real shit around here? You know? And then you probably, you know, you be a juvenile staff, you're like, shut up and get in line, you know. So like, so so like with approaching those situations. You know, do you ever like stop and think like, oh, well, maybe we should switch things up? Uh, yeah, I mean, and actually, that was um, one of the things I really believe in is that's the strength of diversity. Mm-hmm. Because when you have people that have different perspectives and can come from different places, you get made aware of things like that. Mm-hmm. And we had picks with that program. It was probably because you said something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, that's in a direct result of having diversity in our team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it would have just been, you know, me and Seeley. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you were taking longer to get picks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we were like, what's that? Yeah. Um, so that's the strength of diversity is you broaden your scope, you broaden your view, and and then but then you have to be open to it. So if I hear something like that, I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, do it. I mean, yeah. why not? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you can't, you know, if you're not aware of those things, you need to be open to it when you hear it. Yeah. Well, I remember the lotion thing. We went around on that one a few times. <laughs> Well, and I feel like, you know, it was like, you know, because kids can always say it, but it's good when, like, a staff can, like, come and, like, say, no, he's right, you know, because, like, yeah, kids are saying, this is real. You know, yeah, like, that might help out with some of your, these frustrations, you know, like, because right. he can't use that little comb that, you know, and I don't even think a lot of these kids with straight hair should use these combs, right. but they can use them, but he can, you know, <laughs> he cannot use these, this comb for his hair, yeah. you know, and it he might be a little less irritable if if we just kind of you know made that happen. So yeah, you should probably allow someone to have their basic grooming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that, a, a basic standard you probably set. That would definitely uh, save some of uh, power struggles, you know. But uh, I do feel like our pro- like you know, because me working, you know, with a program that was contracted with OIA and working directly with OIA, I feel like um, because we were on the outside, like trying to like fight for our spot. I feel like our program did a little more, you know, than what actually happens inside those, you know, correctional facilities. Because um, now, now they are making some good changes, you know, like they have like a lot of staff that are like, um, you know, you know, that are talk to kids and process things with students. But because it's so like, it's kind of old school, 
little bit. It's trying to change, but I feel like the change they're having is like too far to the left side, you know. Yeah, overcorrected. So, yeah, you know. So, roll the vehicle if you overcorrect. So, but, but I feel like you know our program, especially because we had to, you know, you know, because because first we had the sanctuary model first, and I remember that taught me something good too. Like that taught me the key to social work. Like is like you always look at the why, yeah, you know. So like. I remember, you know, I forgot the director's name, but she was like, you know, like instead of looking at this student, like, um, uh, like, 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 damn, what's wrong with him? You know, like, what happened to him? You yeah. know, so like, what made you like feel like that sanctuary model was important for us to incorporate? I remember you, you driving at home. It clicked for me. I just recognized. Oh, excuse it. me. Could you explain the sanctuary model to like? Sanctuary model is by Dr. Sandra Bloom and her. Uh, they're from, I think, New York, and it is basically, you know, an evidence-based look at trauma-informed care and practices and understanding the role uh, and effects of trauma, specifically the early um, childhood traumas and things. So it kind of mm-hmm. stems a lot. Also, they talk about the ACEs scores, um, so the trauma scores that, that kids have, and. When you're working in detention and residential, yeah. you're dealing with kids that have a lot of trauma in most cases. Mm-hmm. So when I sat in on it um, and just listened, I, I recognized it. Uh, I was what they called an early adopter because I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I was like, of course I need to know what the kid's story is. Of course I should listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm less afraid of being duped. Yeah. So and again, there's, that's a strong culture <laughs> inside that is, oh, they're playing you. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants anybody to get one over on you. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't care. Yeah. Let them. I mean, that doesn't impact me. It just means I got to work on something else with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Um, but that's really was just sitting there and listening and going, yeah, 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 yeah that makes sense. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it when and then once so you have an evidence-based thing, and it's really jiving with your anecdotal experiences and understandings of things and what what you studied, it just made sense. Mm-hmm. Nice. So. I remember uh, that is part a big part of like the correctional, you know, like the philosophy or the atmosphere, the culture is not getting played. By, by juvenile, you know, and they're all just working you. Yeah, you know, like no matter, you know, no matter what, you know. And I feel like um, there was there's a few things that went too far because like should have listened to this kid in the first place, you know. Yeah. And I feel like that 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 hurts more than it helps, you know, because I feel like that's like a very old school way of looking at things. Like, oh, he's playing, you don't know? don't worry about that, you know, don't think of that. Uh, but I also feel like it's um. There's a disconnect between admin and like the floor staff, you know, in you know in most cases, especially like Hawaii, because the admin is like downtown, mm-hmm. and you come back to your floor staff who's working, and then it's like it's like this culture war, you know, of like clashing, and I just I, I hated seeing that, and then like and then having to work in those environments, like 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 usually like instead of like you becoming like better, you usually just come like just a part of the. It's part of the team, and you become a person that just, you know, that that really becomes institutionalized, you know. So I was kind of glad I was able to take a break from that uh, career. I wouldn't mind going back, but just 
I would know I'm going back as, as a stronger person, you know, and I like so like influential, you know, because I know, you know, because especially like man at Hillcrest, like you really had to, you had to play ball. Like if, you know, like you really had to be like you had to show you were a strong staff, and that meant, you know. That, that meant having your kids in line, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, you know, like, I was, I mean, I was different because, like, I, I was able to do that and still able to joke around and, you know, like, for some odd reason, people just liked me, you know what I'm saying? So, like, I kind of, I really didn't catch a lot of slack, you know, even when I, even when I, like, quote, unquote, fucked up and I didn't, like, have, like, the unit looking spot, you know, clean as, as, as people want, they give me, like, oh, you know, it's, it's a long, this was a long day, you know, so, so, but I feel like that kind of, that kind of stuff really Hinders us, and people need to think like you. Like, don't be afraid to get duped. You know, I mean, especially you know, in in those situations, in those places, the circumstances are changing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not; it's a fluid situation based on you know the milieu, the chemistry of kids you have in there. So you can't have just one approach because there is no one size fits all approach when you're dealing. I mean, some of these kids are dangerous or mm-hmm. you know if, if you're not careful um, could you know could be getting away with victimizing somebody else in here um, or put your staff at risk so it's not like those things aren't there and they don't exist you have to acknowledge them but the one thing I think is important is to remember they're there for a reason mm-hmm. and our job is to work on that yeah so when you sign on to do that kind of work, you are getting yourself into <laughs> some emotionally draining stuff. Yeah. Because you may be working with somebody who has no idea and doesn't even care that you're trying to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side of it, maybe you're just so far away from understanding them mm-hmm. that you can't. Yeah, and that was a like a big problem, like because it was a union. So whoever got, whoever was seniority got the best shift. So, like, you might get to a point where your unit is running the way you want it to run. You know, you guys are just killing it. Everything is going clicking. You you, you got the treatment in line. Every, every staff was just engaging in treatment. And then a day shift opened up, and you get some staff from some other unit who's like, I don't give a shit about. Yeah, I just want a day shift. <laughs> you know, about nothing. And he comes in and kind of, you know, he or she comes in and kind of ruins. You know, I've, I've dealt with that a few times. Like, man, we had it, we had it really rolling. And then. So and so comes and it's like, oh. And to me, that's that's getting into one of the functions of administration and management. Mm-hmm. Recognize when somebody's got it going. Yeah. And then protect it. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, and that you do that by well having data, having things that you could make arguments on. Mm-hmm. You could say, no, I'm not just favoring this person. Look at the results. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to get you further, I think, uh, if you can have evidence and, and some things to reason with. As an administrator or manager, you want to protect that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, I mean, people know, a lot of times you'll know the strong staff and the weak staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever you're going to make a change, well, a change is going to happen. Yeah. So how, how do you want that change to go? Yeah. So 
I think that just comes with pretty close monitoring oversight, you know, knowing your staff, and then always making it clear that this is what we're trying to do mm-hmm. right here. Yeah. And this person's doing it. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to protect that spot. Yeah. It yeah. is hard. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And then all of a sudden you're playing favorites. It's like, well, I'm not really protecting the person as much as I'm protecting the results. Yeah. And the results, I mean, those are important. And, and that's why we're there. Yeah. In a field of work that's not like very, um, like you can't really punch in numbers and, and like come out with the same result. You know, I feel like results are important. You know, and I feel like that was like, like I, I, I do support unions, but I feel like that was one flaw of the union. In some places, like they can, you know, like and sometimes your manager can't manage. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, like he or she cannot, they can't manage. Like you, you get stuck with this person you got to work with, and you got to work with them because the union protects them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like God, you, you know, it's like God, like like it's personal. Well, it's kind of personal, but it's really, I like my unit to be a certain way, and I just can't have it that way. But then, like again, like you know, the union's like, well, I mean. With the bad mm-hmm. sort of situation in my mind, it's, you know, you definitely need them. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I rather would have them than not. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, what I was, you know, I tried, but it never worked. Is yeah. Is talking, you know, within a union and saying, well, how do we police ourselves? Yeah. So they don't have to police us. <laughs> I feel like you was only painting the ass for your manager, you know, and you got to work with the. You know the person that just teeters, that is, that is toast alive. You know, because sometimes it's like, okay, you're over it, you're done. Mm-hmm. And already like, oh, you, you're not even close. You're good. Then it's that person that's kind of like, oh, I'll just, I'll just ride this line until I see where I get it. And right. then you're like, oh, fuck, you know. Well, it comes down, you know, contract language. So you'll have a labor agreement, and mm-hmm. um, you know, the two parties get to work together on that. And I always thought my motto was, look, we may be different parties, but we're we're all here. At the same time, so why don't we work together? Yeah, <laughs> and that takes a little dose of reality for all sides. Like, mm-hmm. um, guess what? Workers aren't going to be perfect. They're not robots. Okay, we're going to have to understand that. And then on the other side, um, uh, management isn't out to ruin your life. Yeah, they don't wake up every morning and think, okay, how can I screw this person over? <laughs> Like we've been handed a mission and an objective, they're trying to achieve it, and personnel and people are a part of the plan. So, um, you know, you're moving parts basically in pieces, mm-hmm. trying to get something done. And when those parts and pieces are people, it gets complicated. So, yeah, you gotta have a little sympathy. And you know, I always, when I went from, that was seven years, I was on the executive board for the association, the union. Mm-hmm. And help negotiate the last few contracts. Yeah. And then I flopped over and I'm on the other side and I learned some things. You know, I realized, you know, there is more going on than people understand. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're trying to work with issues and problems that you can't really talk openly about for different yeah. reasons, whether it's someone's confidentiality or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And so you just have to do the best you can in those situations. So I got a little more sympathetic to it. Yeah. But it's good and bad. Both sides are good and bad. Mm-hmm. You know? Understandable. So uh, what do you know like about the term mental health? The term mental health. Yeah, I feel like it's a, it's a very large term. Yeah, well, I mean, it has to do with, you know, what 
what your brain is doing on a daily basis and how much it matches up to what everyone else's brains is doing and uh, you know the cultures and things around you and mm-hmm. um, on a on one level and then I think you know there's also more profound mental health mm. issues that are much more clearly distinguishable yeah you know like uh, yeah, like something like might have been born with. Yeah, sleeping, <laughs> sleeping. Yeah, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer is kind of a different yeah. health example than you know your average person with you know, a mild depression. Mm. Yeah. Like okay, uh, so how do you think uh, something like uh, like life experiences affect mental health? Like life experiences like race, poverty, um, you know. Um, Somebody who's being like uh, somebody who might be a, a homosexual, but they're like dealt with their own bigotry. You know, that's a good question because what I, as far as like the environment and the culture and the experience and its impact on mental health, that's kind of what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely think it plays a role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, ultimately people are sort of this randomly chaotic combination of the genetic template they were handed Mm -hmm. and then the experiences they had growing up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no two people are really the same. Yeah. And so those experiences can go more than one way. Yeah. Talking, you know, I listened to some of your podcasts, and mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I said to you a couple times um, was, "Thank your parents." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't know them, but they did something right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking a lot about that while I was listening to the podcast, and I was getting like more of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking, "Geez, yeah, there was adversity here." Yeah, right. And that adversity is a good example of something. So sometimes people hit adversity, and it's a bad thing for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people had adversity, and it ends up being a good thing mm-hmm. for them. So I think there is an impact um, to, to people's mental health, obviously. Mm-hmm. But exactly the nature of it, I think it would be hard to pin down, because I think it can vary quite a bit. Yeah, like, uh, like, you, like, it's like how you said, you know, like, I've been through a lot of stuff, but... It, I mean, I definitely have, like, my own shit that I deal with, you know, but it, it didn't, like, hinder me. It kind of made me, uh, you know, not really flourish, but, like, it, it, it drove me to do something, you know, than somebody who experienced my experience and better drove them to do something else, mm-hmm. you know. And the thing that, that you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of hits a brick wall with me is, like, when people, like, uh, only focus on the one example, you know. Like, so somebody, so, like, I might fit somebody's propaganda message. Yeah. And they were like, oh, this black kid has been through all this stuff. He went to grad school, did like this, you know, this, this, this. So racism is not a problem in America. Right. You know? Yeah. Or somebody might look at me and say, you know, he's did this, 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 and this. Racism is a problem in America. You yeah. know? So I feel like we got to be able I'm not saying racism is a problem. I definitely believe racism is a problem, but I'm saying like, we got to be able to, like, accept both of those as, like, valid things. Things. Like, like just because one one thing happens over here, it happens over there, doesn't mean that it cancels out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, so yeah. I mean, your answer really makes sense. It's like, yeah, it's adversity definitely happens, but it just depends on, you know, who, the person. You know, like, were you genetically like strong in the first place? 
because if you weren't, you might not be able to handle that. Right. You know, or if you didn't have like some kind of confidence, you know, or some kind of drive, you know, that might have shut you all the way down. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's so hard to If you think about all the, the input coming in on a daily basis as a child is growing up, mm-hmm. sights, sounds, smells, colors, touches, interactions, it's just continual coming in. And all that stuff is, is shaping the world around them. And, um, but, you know, the other thing you made me think of when you were describing that, when people would take it and then they, they'd take this one case and make it as an argument mm-hmm. for, for the whole thing. Yeah. The first thing that went through my head was, that sounds like a, a Facebook debate. <laughs> you know? Because that's what you ran into. It's like, well, yeah, but what about this? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean... It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. My answer to those kinds of things. And yeah. Just because you know um, one person's done well doesn't mean that if you have a group of people who, as a whole, have to experience adversity on a higher level at yeah. a greater rate, they're not going to suffer more as a group than a group that didn't. I think that's folly. I don't think. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that's real too. Yeah. Okay. So, you being uh, a heterosexual white male, how do you check your own biases? Because I can tell you how I check mine as a heterosexual male, but being a person of color. But check my biases. Well, I you know I practice a lot of self talk. Okay. So. A lot of that is catching your automatic thinking. So, mm-hmm. if I'm in a situation and I have a strong feeling about it, I gotta take a second and go, "Why am I feeling that way?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what is the basis of this feeling? It might be irrational. Do I have sound reason and logic? Do I think I can explain it? Yeah. Um, or not? Or is it coming from a different place? Yeah. And. And then just being real with yourself about what it is mm-hmm. um, once you get there. And listen, mm-hmm. I mean, because sometimes you're not aware of it. I mean, I am who I am. Yeah. And so when I talk and I act, that's me coming out. That doesn't mean it's the final product. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still evolving and, and as a person becoming what I'll ultimately be. But um, you have to listen. So mm-hmm. it'll be inputs. Yeah. You know, but I asked you at one point, I said, hey, you know, you know, if you ever hear anything come out of my mouth, yeah. point it out. Mm-hmm. I want to learn. So yeah. I think recognizing it, understanding it's there, and though you may not always be aware of it, uh-huh. and just having that question and the ability and, and the openness to bring in some input that may not be comfortable yeah. helps. Yeah, okay. That's nice. Uh, I know with me, you know, it's kind of the same thing. Be open. Always understand, like, damn, why do I think that way? So, like, the first time I had to kind of check my bias, um, we had an old coworker who was the old case manager. And there was this kid at our program, and everybody thought he was kind of, everybody thought he was gay, right? I thought he was gay, too. But when I found that, when I found out that he wasn't black, that he was like a different nationality, he was just brown. He didn't seem as gay to me. <laughs> because, you know, my bias is thinking like black is supposed to be supposed to be tough or, you know, and if you're anything other than yeah. that, you're 
Yeah, you're, you know, you're right. gay. But then when I found out he wasn't black, I was like, oh, well, he doesn't seem that gay anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and and like that's where my biases come from. You know, like just like trying to like you know me being a male and like uh, me being heterosexual. Even like when I was in my first year of grad school, the first assignment we had, we had to interview ourselves, right? And you had to listen to it, and um, you had to interview yourself week two, listen to the interview week ten. After you go through all this coursework, and man, I was that interview. I was like, what the fuck was I like? Like, like what kind of person was I? You know, just to think the just the kind of shit I was saying. You know, just the kind of thing. You know, and how nonchalant I was about like other people's issues. You know, mm-hmm. now I, I still I, I still think you know race is always the first issue because race is what you see when people show up. You know, like mm-hmm. you can hide a lot of shit. You can't hide your race, but to be but for me to be not. Or for, for me to be so nonchalant about other people's struggles, it was disappointing. Like it honestly was, and I was like, like, like you know, it was, it was, it was. Well, it made the change. It was a moment. Yeah, like I had to really like sit back and like just think, you know, like. But what, what made the change? What made the change is it. It didn't sound right hearing it, like. Phonically hearing it Like You know You hear it in your head But in your head your, your head is your head You know what I'm saying It's like You know But when you hear it coming You know Like you hear it coming From somewhere else It just sounds bad Oh So just even Just hearing yourself As if you're someone else Yeah <laughs> I was wondering Maybe you know, Eight weeks of Of the classes and things. Well you know That a little bit You know Like that a little bit But those classes Weren't really that deep, you know, yeah. so, you know, but uh, but just hearing it, you know, and then having conversations with other people, like meeting people, you know, like you know, being me being an older man because I was in I was like 29 in grad school, so I wasn't like 22 or 23, a young kid, I was old, so like just having conversations with people, watching videos, seeing other people struggle, you know, and and not really being so selfish about my own struggle because you know, we get into this thing like uh, we call it the oppression Olympics. Where everybody's like, oh, well, you think this is bad? You should hear what I'm going yeah. through. You know what I'm saying? So, so I had to like really dial that down. Where did that, that come from? Oppression Olympics? I don't know. I heard, I heard it from, uh, I think there was another podcast on this too. Uh, I heard it. And he, he had mentioned that. I think he said, I think he said that. Oppression Olympics, like this, everybody has a struggle, but everybody's struggle has to like prove that they're. Struggle number one, you know, and I've even chilled on that a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like there's really there's really nothing I can do to make you, you know, like see what I see. And if you're not buying it, then I gotta just, you know, I gotta I gotta work at a different angle somewhere. But but on a micro level, you know, I, I really have scaled back from trying to. Convince people to see the the way I work, the world I see it, you know, because mm-hmm. it's it's for my own mental health and my own self care. It's not healthy, right? And we have to, on a certain level, you got to accept the fact that there are differences. Mm-hmm. People are always going to probably see things a little bit differently, and if we can, that's why I think it's important to be able to agree to disagree on some things. Yeah. Um, but clearly, some disagreements are going to be too fundamentally different mm-hmm. for people to really. Really, you can get along. Yeah. So, um, we'll wrap this up here pretty soon. But I want one. I just want you to explain one thing. Not explain it, but like just kind of, uh, you know, touch base on it. So you're from rural Oregon, mm-hmm. right? And rural Oregon, rural America gets a bad rap for being like kind of, you know, 
simple mm-hmm. racist mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um, people and me just experience the world and knowing a person like you at least one person is not like that <laughs> you know and I know like you have like you know your views on things you very, you were very vocal about uh, you know the NFL um, you know not supporting the NFL's new policy, you know, mm-hmm. and I, to me that was important because I feel like yeah, there's like this layer of racism where people are like you know people know not to say like offensive things, you know, but they don't want to see like the system, you know, like 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 I might know not to call nobody like the N word or you know call like you know you know like I might not think it's you know. Uh, like, you know, call Hispanic as, you know, a speak or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they don't see, like, how, like, our systems oppress people. But I feel like, you know, you, uh, you, um, you know, you not supporting that policy was like, man, I, was, I knew I liked him for a reason, you know. So, could you, like, so, so I say that to say, you know, like, it's like, like, I don't want you to touch base on, like, you know, rural, you know, like your rural America, you know, how you see it. Well, you know, sometimes I feel sorry for rural America, and sometimes I understand rural America. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I would say is that, you know, and a lot of things we've said today, talked about is that experience the experiences people have will, will shape a lot of things like you know the example of the picks oh, I didn't know we needed picks mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and so there's something about novelty and new things um and it, that only becomes a problem when you're not open to learning about the new thing. When you want to say the new thing or the different thing is bad, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes a problem. And so a lot of it, for me, comes down to experience and education and um, getting out there and realizing that the world is a much bigger place than what anybody who's never left rural America mm-hmm. has experienced. So, in a way, I give Pat a pass. Yeah. Okay. Because that means people can change mm-hmm. um, with, you know, with a cliche word, education. Um, but that just means learning. Yeah. Uh, learn about something else, something you're, you know, not aware of. Um, but there will, I think, always be people that have. You know, they've been taught something else. And mm-hmm. in that vacuum of not learning anything, I mean, there's a difference between someone who doesn't learn anything about something or someone who's different yeah. and a person who's taught that that difference is bad. Mm-hmm. And so we have a history that uh, where a lot of people were taught as children that that is bad, Mm -hmm. that difference is bad. So, but I think as the decades have gone on, we've we've had a smaller, smaller number. Mm -hmm. And so you see changes and things happening, and you see more now. I think there's a lot of people that just don't know. People like me, it's like, well, I know I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to sound stupid, but you know, you're the guy with the hand in the air in yeah. class going, I have a question. You know, people roll up their eyes at you or whatever sometimes. But mm-hmm. It's better to ask the question. And, and then I think in time, people will understand when you're coming from a genuine place, they'll learn that. Yeah. So you have to have confidence in that to go, I'm just 
going to go through the learning process. Mm. And I have no idea if this is anywhere near what you were thinking. But um, also, on that Anthem issue specifically, that was a journey for me. I mean, it took me a while. Because, like, when Cap did it in the beginning, I was just pissed. Yeah. I was like, what? I mean, because that's like a law, right? That's a cultural rule. You do not offend yeah. during that time. That is so strong. Well, it's not a law. Well, like you said, it's the cultural. I mean, like, a, yeah. not like a yeah. written one, but I mean, this is like, this Man is the norm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the expectation. Yeah. And, you know, we have Pledge of Allegiance. We have, you know, we have all these stories that you told um, about the history. And there's a lot of great things in the history of America, but mm-hmm. there's, you know, people will spend a lot of time talking about the stuff that's not great. I mean, yeah. that's part of the problem. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so your first reaction, that's that talk. Mm-hmm. You know, my first reaction is like, well, you brat, you spoiled brat. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you are disrespecting <laughs> yeah. our, our country. Um, but then what I did was I just kept kind of following things and looking at it and then seeing perspectives. And that's why I think you really got to give credit to people that get out in front of a topic. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like a Navy SEAL or something. Yeah. I think at the time I'm like reading Navy SEAL books and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I come across Navy SEAL stuff because it's probably in all my search engines. Yeah, yeah. But I see uh, he's got a response to it and I, I listened and I was like, huh. Well, that's a pretty good point. And then I started listening more, and then I started listening more. Mm-hmm. And you learn. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. Uh, as long as you keep learning, and then all of a sudden I realize this isn't about that. Yeah. This isn't about. I mean, nobody's trying to disrespect a veteran. Nobody's trying mm-hmm. to disrespect the flag. This is about making a point about the things that have happened that we haven't been learning about. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is so that people can be aware and begin to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the other part of that is I am, uh, as a person, I have a pretty strong libertarian streak. Mm-hmm. And I really think individual rights yeah. are hugely important. Um, so I, I pretty much will always defer to someone's right to, to do to do something they believe strongly about. You know, it's yeah. like, he's not hurting anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's trying to make a point. So let's talk about the point. Yeah. And let's not make it something it's not. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why I was so disappointed. Because mm-hmm. I, I think we need to have higher expectations for people in those kinds of positions. Like, come on, if I could figure it out. Yeah. I'm sitting here in the dowels. Yeah. I don't got the budget you got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The information's there. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why it's so disappointing. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to support it. Yeah. I want to support those rich, rich dudes, mm-hmm. right, that are going to make a ton of money off us. I'm already, I was already pissed about how much it costs to go to a game. Mm-hmm. The price of families out. Yeah. You know, people can't go to these things. It's and, becoming like an elite social hour. Yeah, it's not like their stadiums are getting smaller. Yeah. <laughs> They're not owning less cars. They're not owning less houses. Mm-hmm. So why are we pricing people out? Why? You know, and then um, actually Shannon, is it Shannon Sharp? Yeah. I saw a thing he did. He really flipped the script for me. Yeah. Because he nailed it. He went right after the money aspect. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, well, you want to make these guys care about something. Hit him in the wallet. 
That's the only thing they're going to care about. So they have no moral ground. They yeah. can't. And to me, I just uh, I, it's a hard time to have any respect for that, and I certainly don't want to contribute to it. And that's a real problem for me because I love football. <laughs> yeah, I see the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> yeah. I love football. I love the sport. You know, I love yeah. the sport. And I'm in, I'm the same way. Like this year, um, last year, my my protest was I kept cap on my fantasy team. Oh. I just didn't drop him. You know, <laughs> like hey, I was gonna keep him on my team. But this year, you know, and knowing like you know how you know the president has his own vendetta against NFL because of the USFL and him refute, you know in, in the Buffalo Bills he couldn't buy them you know I just I joined the team last year and I kind of didn't want to do it because I didn't want to contribute but I feel like this year I'm just not going to even mess with the team I might just like you know waste my $35 and you know but then again it's like you know, I'm conflicted. You know, well, it's a fluid. It could always come back. I mean, if, yeah, if, yeah. You, if it gets fixed and all sounds like, hey, this feels good again. Mm-hmm. That's one thing we need to be better about in this country. Probably yeah, not be able so, to change our minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah not to be so gung ho. <laughs> let people know. make a change. Yeah, let people chill. Let don't, people don't sit there and get angry you know. because uh, something's not changing, and then when it gets changed, they'll not give it credit. Yeah, so it's like okay, that goes back <laughs> to when the kid earns it, right? Yeah. So, so uh, in uh, I have one more thing. So. I was an admin for a little bit this year. My, my first taste of being an admin, right? And we know how our juveniles love counterculture. Juveniles love counter. For some reason, they just love to be against the grain. I worked at a pretty left charter school, right? Like it was pretty left leaning. The whole philosophy, the students were there. A lot of trans students, a lot of, not a lot of students of color, but like you know, it was like a lot of white, rich, like you know, leftists, right? So the group of boys started wearing this Make Mary Gradient hat, right? Me, my philosophy, I was like, well, you know, if we have Obama hopes, you know, signs up, I can't tell this kid that he can't wear this hat, you know. But a lot of people were like, oh, my God, you know, he's wearing this hat. And, you know, they were kind of just going, like, frothing at the mouth. And I was like, so I talked to him a few, a little bit. I was like, hey, you know, I support your political, whatever. You know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I'm letting you know your hat's causing a lot of attention. And, you know, I'm just letting you know, like, that's that's what's going to happen when you wear a hat like that. Because it's so, like, it represents a lot of stuff that people don't agree with. And a lot of stuff that that are, are kind of, uh, I mean... My mind. Yeah. We're ready to have a conversation. Yeah, you know. So, you know, <laughs> and so, like, the kids stopped wearing it, but he, he let his friends wear it. And then one time I went to class to talk to some kids, and the one kid was wearing it, he kept looking at me, like, wanted me to react. So I pulled him off and said, so what's up? I was like... Yeah. Is there a problem? Like we have a problem. I had to ask my thing. Do we have a problem? You know, he said no. I was like, well, I said, so like, I feel like you keep looking at me. He's like, well, I don't know. I just was, you were in class and I was like, so what was going on? And then he was like, well, I just wear this hat because Trump is stupid. I was like, well, whatever. Don't care. It's like, just know, like I told the other kid, just know that you're going to have an issue, right? And then it became like a big issue to where like it was about to become a rally at the school. But when that happened, you know, the hat just went, it went away. So I didn't have to really like suspend anybody or anything like that. It just kind of disappeared, and I prayed. I was like, "Thank the Lord, because I don't know what to do." Mm-hmm. So in that situation, you've dealt with kids loving counterculture stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so what if what would you would have done in that situation? Well, you know, individual rights, and understanding that some kids, I mean, you know, they may be doing it 
for an effect, right? Mm -hmm. Rise out of somebody because they're kids and they yeah. may be doing something that is that's as deep as it went. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really get all these other conversations that are going on around it. Um, but you know, we don't we dealt with that stuff around religion also. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the Satanist movement, right. which yeah. that's like a whole that's like a statewide thing. Every facility I went to, oh yeah, we it was like it was that was something. Yeah, we had yeah. we had the black book. Yeah, <laughs> I had a PDF copy. I actually read it first, mm -hmm. um, just to, so I know what the heck I was putting out there. Um, but you know, as far as the politics stuff, I'm not going to even if someone has a what they call them, MAGA hats. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll probably in my own head think, oh man, but that's their right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's where I was cool. coming from too. I was like, I was like, you know, that's not. I don't. I don't vibe with that hat. But at the same time, if we have Black Lives Matter stuff, I'm not saying Black Lives Matter and MAGA are the same thing. But right. I'm saying in the in the sense of it being a political stance, they're the same. So how you know like I, I was like hey you know I'm rolling with it like as long as you're not like you know walking up to you know like Hispanic girls and saying deport deport you know you know then like as long as you wear your hat and you just walk into class and do what you gotta do you know right and that's to me that's individual rights I'd rather be in a place. Uh, where I had to put up with something I thought was retarded, mm -hmm. and that's not even a word I should use, right? Yeah. I just made somebody mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, or yeah, you uh, definitely shouldn't use that word. I know, but yeah, trash. We're learning. Yeah, it comes out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the, uh, you know, having at least having the rights is more important because I think I'd rather be uncomfortable or have to put up with things that I disagree with. And or have the opportunity to have conversations with people mm -hmm. that have a different viewpoint because I think there's, you know, we focus on the ones that are negative, but there's a lot of good ones. There's probably more, I've had more good ones than bad ones. Yeah. When, I, when you're having a real genuine conversation, then live in a place that tells me what I can wear. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to live in that place. Yeah. I don't, that's a slippery slope. I would rather have it be the other way. It's more challenging. Yeah. Um, in some ways, uh, I think, it, you know, obviously if you have s some form of strict control over all people, I think that's going to end up being a bigger problem in the end because you're going to have form in their own groups and uh -huh. say the hell with you. Mm -hmm. That's what we see all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, but, no, I think, you know, if somebody wants to, you know, you get a vote for want yeah. in this country and um, it, it's legitimate to wear a hat that's fine and and anybody else that has a political logo or something going mm -hmm. on in a political time um, I think if you try to start telling people whether they can or can't wear something that's political like that you are getting into it's getting dangerous a slippery area yeah and that's what I was thinking too I was like shit I don't you know, in that, but I, I, I talked to my boss at the time, and she, you know, she's a black woman. She was like, "Well, is he? Is he? You know, is well, what is he doing? Is he's not doing nothing?" Then I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, you know. So well, I would probably just try to not give her attention. Yeah. 
but you know, we had so many other. Like I said, we had a lot. Like we had a lot of you know, we had a lot of youth that were giving attention, and we had some teachers that were you know, and it was just yeah, it was a right. Because you get back to the original premise, yeah. you're in an administrative role. Yeah, <laughs> you're like oh no, I got to manage this in a way that is correct and probably keep my optics as as good as I can on it. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, that's that. Um, what do they call it? Uh, when you have to be squeaky clean to the image of, you know, you can't make. Nobody could believe you possibly are doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I can't remember the phrase for it. it. Came out off the top of my head. But that's like a fallacy. It's a bad thing to try and do. Ultimately, mm. we talked about that in public administration classes. Yeah. Like, uh, you'll end up in a bad spot there too because you can't make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. So I think, and and you kind of, you said something to me recently about. When I said, well, you know, I got to be careful on, on things you say. You can get labeled really easy in this day. Yeah. So that's true. And, and I don't remember what that conversation was, but you basically said, I think you'd be all right. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah. perspective. Yeah. Well, because I, I, I remember that you said, you know, because you had to call, you, you had to call the cops to your neighbor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, how does that work? Yeah. And I was like, you know, because you're worried, like, well, you know, just, you know, if you see a person of color doing a crime, you definitely call the cops. The problem is that that we're seeing is like people of color are just simply existing. Right. And people are calling the police. You know, it's like that's where it's like yeah, if you see somebody robbing somebody, yeah, you definitely should call the police. You know, like, well, here's you know, that rural America thing. Yeah. So the difference is, I grew up, you know, and I didn't, for the record, I didn't call the police on a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> if I was going to, mm-hmm. it wasn't a person of color I was calling the police on. Yeah. It was a different set of social. Factors that I was reaching my, I'm suspicious, mm-hmm. which is probably a whole other show. But you know, when you're like, you're thinking someone looks criminal, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean race. Although I would say we have a history of racism with the Hispanic folks here in yeah. town, um, up until when I was a kid, and probably still ongoing. But um, and that's that that difference of well, I can't, re- I don't really. I don't think of it just because somebody is a certain color. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, they got other qualities that are making me mm-hmm. concerned as well. Um, now, I think if I was in a place that the other side does exist, where also if, if you've been taught the difference is bad, like mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, then yeah, you're probably more likely to assume that that is also yeah. one of the social factors that would indicate to me yeah. I should make this call. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think people don't, I think they underplay that. They don't quite understand um, how prevalent that actually is in them. Yeah. Because it's, it can be almost subconscious. I right? mean, look at what I said earlier about the youth. Because he was black, I thought he had to be a certain way. Right. <laughs> you know? There's no subconscious. And it never really, it, 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 didn't, it, didn't, it didn't dawn on me until I actually talked to a staff. He's like, that's, that's kind of fucked up. I was like, I, was, I said, is it, is it? He's like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up. I was like, yeah, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> See, that's, where, that's the difference. If you're checking, yeah. and you got the alarm bell going, hmm, is that fucked up? <laughs> that means you're probably in a good place. Yeah. Versus, no, I'm right. Yeah, I'm just always going to be right. That's the way it is. Yeah, that's just how we do it. <laughs> well, I know you got things to do, so I could talk to you for until 9 tonight, especially if we had a bottle of Crown Royal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, we got to make one of those podcasts. Oh, I don't, well, the goal is to get, I don't, I don't know if that would get us any sponsors. <laughs> that kind of conversation. Maybe we have to get a different chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you sitting down with me, especially in such a crunch schedule. You know, I know you got things to do. Uh, this was great. Uh, like I said, you mean a lot to my career and to myself, and it's kind of how I do life. So I uh, appreciate that. And I'm going to run off some... Uh, some plugs right now. All right. So, like I always say, uh, I'm on Gmail, cats are not cats kings, so, <laughs> hip hop social worker at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, HA Social Work. I am on Cash App for donations to make this thing grow as much as possible at CScott85. I'm also on Instagram at, at Hip Hop Social Worker Pod, and I'm also on Facebook. Just type in Hip Hop Social Worker, you should find my page. And I appreciate you, Mr. Tool. Thank you. No problem. And thank your parents. <laughs> I will. <laughs>